Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. talk today about Isaiah chapter 11. We our last episode looked at Psalm 96 and talking about this coming of the Lord and the one who's going to judge the peoples with equity. Uh, the Lord reigns. We're talking about God as the perfect human king in the Messiah in Jesus. And we talked about the end of Psalm 96, the heavens being glad, the earth rejoicing, the fields exulting and everything in the fields exulting. The trees themselves are singing for joy before Yahweh because he comes to judge the earth, to remove evil and to bring his faithfulness and righteousness back to a renewed, restored earth and creation. We talked about that in the last episode, and it made me think of Isaiah chapter 11. For me personally, I get amazed at the one story of the Bible, books that were written centuries apart from one another, that have the same story in a, in a cryptic way, in a way that is poetic, prophetic, and in my opinion, beyond even the knowledge of the human authors. There's a a thread of truth that the Holy Spirit is writing throughout the centuries of different books of the Bible being written, all pointing to this one story of the human king, Jesus, taking back what was lost in the first chapters of Genesis. We were created as human beings to reign upon the earth and the glory of God to continue God's work of creation to exercise his rule, his righteous, faithful, loving, glorious, beautiful rule over his creation. But we became people bent on our own glory to be our own gods. And we suppress the truth of God and exchange the truth of God for a lie. Instead of worshiping the glory of God, we worshiped the inglorious created beings and descended into a lower form of humanity, almost a, a dehumanizing form of humanity. And Christ, the perfect human, came to restore our humanness by becoming the perfect human king. This is the gospel message. The entire Bible, written over 1,500 years by over 40 different authors over in three different continents, we could even say, and yet it's still one story. And that's something amazing to me about Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 1 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, if we're just sort of new to the Bible, this isn't going to make a whole lot of sense to us. But Jesse was the father of David. So the son of Jesse became this term for David. God had promised David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that he would be the one on whose throne. It would be his descendant that would be a forever king and rule over the entire earth and restore God's kingdom to the entire earth and bring peace, bring God's rule. So this Messiah, this is the the idea of the Messiah, this Davidic 
king, this David-like king, but the perfect David-like king, if that makes sense, because David was far from perfect. He was a huge disappointment. But there is this promise of a David figure, this son of Jesse, this son of David, that's going to be this Messiah king. And Isaiah has already said something like this back in chapter 9, verse 6, for two, and this is like a Christmas verse, but it's we rob ourselves of the amazingness of this one story when we limit these verses to only being about Christmas. They're not. They're about this gospel story that's incredible. And it increases my faith when I see it like a thread sewn all throughout the Bible. Verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9. This, again, is written 700 years before Jesus. says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is giving, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. So this is going to be a son, a child who's born is going to be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. This is this promise of this Messiah, this king on the throne of David, who's going to be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God and Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. He's going to bring God's righteousness and God's justice back to the earth. In the last book of the Bible, in the vision that God gave to the Apostle John, it says in chapter 5, verse 5, And one of the elders said to me, John says in his vision, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's the, another name for Jesus. But here's another one. The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, this is a, a, a chapter that's dealing with this vision of one who was able finally to be worthy to take this inheritance, this scroll that God has for humanity. No one was worthy to take it. No one could inherit God's destiny for humanity and the earth except one who comes from the very throne of God. Here he is called the Lion of Judah, of the tribe of Judah, and the Root of David, which is going back to this idea of the Son of David. And it's the same kind of language that's being used here in verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. In the last chapter of the Bible, Jesus says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. I don't know, it's kind of cool to me that this whole centuries-old writing of the Bible is really about this one story and these terms of Jesus being the, the son of David and the root of David and the branch and the stump of Jesse and the root of Jesse. And Jesus calls himself this son of David, and he's referred to as the son of David in the genealogies and the gospel. That's all this one story of what God is going to do when he restores justice and righteousness and faithfulness and glory and beauty and goodness and wisdom and truth upon the earth through his Messiah. And so it says in verse 2, we're going back to now, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We already know in the Old Testament that the Spirit of the Lord is this dynamic presence of God himself 
within creation. It's the power of God in creation. We saw this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, when it said, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. That God's Spirit is speaking life and light into his creation. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus reads another part like this in Isaiah 61, verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this is getting uncomfortable and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Remember, we talked a couple episodes ago about the vengeance of God being something that in our relatively comfortable life, we don't really understand how could a loving God be a God of vengeance. But from most of the people throughout history, the question came from the opposite direction. How could a loving God allow so much evil to go unchecked, unpunished? When's he going to judge those who have been so cruel and so horrible and destructive upon the earth, especially to the weak. And so this is a promise that the Spirit of the Lord is upon this, this one who's going to come, that God himself is going to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captives free. And this is what Jesus applies to himself when he reads this portion in Luke chapter 4. It said that he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. So he came back to his hometown. In verse 16, I'm reading, And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Now at Jesus' time, this scroll from the prophet Isaiah was centuries, had already been written centuries ago. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he goes on to read the passage we just read. And then Jesus says, he says in verse 20, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. You can just imagine this scene. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus is saying, I'm the one on whom the spirit of the Lord has come. I'm the one who's proclaiming this gospel. I'm the one Isaiah talks about. And not just Isaiah 61, but in this passage we're looking at right now. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. These are going to be the Messiah's qualities. Wisdom, understanding. They're, they're God's qualities. They originate in God himself, and they are the outworking of God in the life of this Messiah. We read in Luke chapter 2, verse 47, and all who heard him, talking about Jesus, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Verse 3 in Isaiah chapter 11, and his delight, this Messiah, this king, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. 
Now, again, it just, so he says the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. It's not the kind of fear that makes us want to hide from God. It's the, uh, the, uh, actually an opposite kind of fear. It's such a overwhelmed awe and reverence and a, and a fear in the sense of, well, when, you're, when you see something that is the almighty creator of this universe, that if we saw him now in our sinful state, we would be incinerated. When we see the real true God as he is, there is going to be this sense of fear. It's going to be a fear that has a laugh to it of comfort and awe and joy, and yet also realizing the reality that we are standing in the presence of this awesome God. Fear of Yahweh, fear of the I am. It's the idea of this appropriate understanding of who God really is and of our relationship to him. He is the creator. So Jesus says those who worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's going to be one of the truths of who God is and how we worship him is the fear of the Lord. Verse 3 goes on, He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Now, these poetic lines are in symmetry. So they in each line kind of says in a different way what the what the first line says. It repeats itself. So so verse four, with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. That's saying the same thing. This Hebrew word for poor means needy, weak. And so he's he's with righteousness judging those who are in need, the needy, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Remember, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this judge, Jesus as a judge, when he comes back, he's he's not going to be influenced by appearances. He's not going to be fooled by appearances, by what his eyes see, what his ears hear, is the idea. But will treat all persons with dignity and equity. Verse 4 goes on, And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Again, we're talking here about when Jesus comes back. He's not just coming back to bring heaven back to earth in a restoration kind of way, but part of that restoration is to remove evil from the earth, to truly bring God's presence in heaven and the beauty of the glory of God's restoration and resurrection back to this earth requires the removal of evil. Again, he would have to remove us, except that he was going to reboot us in a resurrection as well, without evil, without sin. Verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Verse 6, now this is going to be poetry of what this new kingdom, this restored earth is going to be like. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain. This is a description of a renewed kind of creation with harmony and shalom and flourishing and well-being. It's a poetic description. It's not literal. 
It's a poetic description of the messianic kingdom, this kingdom that Jesus the Christ, the son of Jesse, the son of David, is going to bring back to the earth. And so we so we, we read in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And this is poetry. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord, the light of Yahweh. This is talking again about the day that God comes back and brings heaven back to earth. This is all poetic descriptions. It's not literal. We need to use our imagination. It's appealing to our imagination. It's not literal. It's, it, it's going to be utterly different from anything anyone in the present fallen creation would know. What Paul says, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of anyone imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So Isaiah 11 is a great example of this one story, this bigger story, this better story that God has for this world and the better story, the bigger story that your life is in and which kind of story you have and which kind of story I have is still to be determined by whether or not we want Christ to be our king. We want Jesus to be our Christ. We are all in this story, and our decisions of faith and faithfulness matter. Our decisions of whether or not we want to follow Christ matter, because this story is in play. It is happening. Jesus has already come as the child who is going to be called, a child is born, a son is given, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He has come. He has been born. He did the miracles. He gave the word of God. He taught the truth of God. He died on the cross to break through the other side of death, to take our sin upon himself so that we could have a reboot and our sin removed. And his resurrection has already started the new creation. And we can have a resurrection like his in a new creation if we want him to be our Messiah, if we want him to be our king, if we want to follow him as our king. Let me just be honest with you that it's not going to be a perfect kind of obedience in this life, this side of the resurrection. I want Christ to be my king, and I have bad days where I have more faith and less faith than others. So this is not a perfect faith kind of following, but it is a desire for Christ to be our king. It is a growing in our faith. You're listening to this podcast That's a filtered group here. You're not just listening to a podcast by mistake. You're listening to this podcast because in some way, God's spirit is working in your heart. He's drawing you to him and you're wanting to follow him. You're wanting to hear his word. You're wanting to draw near. I think that says something really important. And I think it says that you're in the right side of the story, but we have to continue in our faithfulness, which is why we pray and why we want to worship God even now in spirit and in truth, because these are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks to bring into this new kingdom, this new heaven, this restored heaven and earth, this restored earth where heaven comes back to earth. I want to be in this story. I think you do too. And so we pray, oh God, you have answered this call. The son of Jesse has come. You have become human in the person of Jesus. This amazing story that you have been telling for thousands of years and been telling over centuries in your word being written, this conspiracy of your Holy Spirit to, through human authors, give us this amazing story, incredible story, 
the bigger and better story that our life is in. And the proof is in the fact that these prophecies have sequentially come true, even what we already know in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, we've already seen these prophecies come true. We know this is already in play. We know it's already happening. And you're going to finish what you have started. You are going to finish this story that you have already acted in. And Jesus promised to give us his spirit. This spirit of the Lord that rests upon the Messiah is the spirit that he gives us. And so we pray that you, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. We pray together, fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Make your spirit fall upon me, that you would give me your spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, that you would give me the wisdom of your Holy Spirit the understanding of your Holy Spirit, that you would counsel me by your Holy Spirit, that you would give me the power and the strength and the might of your Holy Spirit, that you would give me the knowledge of your Holy Spirit and the fear of the Lord that comes by your Holy Spirit, that I would walk in the reality of who you really are and that more and more who you really are would fill my life with awe and worship and reverence and wonder at your glory and your beauty and your holiness and your righteousness and your truth and your faithfulness and your wisdom and your goodness and your presence in my life, always the I am who is always present. I am never alone. You are always with me. And I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit that Jesus promised to send me, to give me, to lead me to you, to enable me to worship you in truth, to worship you in the spirit and in the truth, that my delight would be in the fear of the Lord. My delight would be in worshiping you in awe and reverence. And yes, fear, that I would fear you more than anyone else that I would want to please you more than anyone else, rather than being afraid of someone disapproving of me, that I would be far more afraid of you disapproving of me. Rather than being afraid that somebody else might reject me, I'd be far more afraid of you rejecting me. And so I come to you in Jesus. I come to you with Jesus as my King, as my Messiah, the one I want to follow, my Lord, my God my good shepherd, as the way and the truth and the life, as the resurrection and the life, my shepherd of righteousness, my shepherd of faithfulness, in whose mouth is the very word of God, the word that speaks life into me, the word that speaks light into me, the very word of God that I need Man shall not live, no one shall live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I want to live on the word of God by your Holy Spirit in my life. The words of Jesus that give life to my soul. The words written by your Holy Spirit in all the Bible that give life to my soul. That speak light into my darkness. That lead me to your holy mountain, your holy presence. I want to be in this story, this eternal story that all the pages of the Bible are telling, written by your Holy Spirit, to bring me into your kingdom, this restoration of the earth, this resurrection, 
in glory and beauty and power and seeing the spirit world as the real world, not just only the physical, but also the spiritual, Paul says in this resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. This is the world I want to live in. This is the world I was created for. This is the world that is my truest satisfaction that my heart longs for, the story I want to be in. And I want to resist all the other false stories, all the other false narratives that are trying to hijack me out of this real story. I want to follow Jesus, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.